There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Watford Buzz, Matt Messiano, Jordan Weimer, and from the Watford Observer, Ryan Gray, special guest joins us here today. Ryan, it's been a little while since we caught up. How are you doing? Yeah, it's 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 been a while, hasn't it? But yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm absolutely fine. Um, all things considered, obviously, given the, the circumstances of this this season. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm still ticking along. Good stuff, Jordan. You're okay. Hanging in there, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, a bumper show today. We'll start with unravelling the Leeds game before moving on to your questions. And then at the end of the show, we'll be joined by David Anderson from Atby's Tactical to chat about Brentford at home next week. Uh, okay then, Leeds came to town. Both teams needing the three points. Watford coming in after a decent-ish fight against the title-chasing Liverpool. No changes from that game. It seemed like Roy was pretty happy, all things considered. Uh, Jordan, did he have any reason not to be? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, as you, as you said, the performance was just decent at Liverpool. Um, there are some positives to take away, and uh, I thought going into this one, it was yeah, I think it was fair to keep things the way they were. Maybe there was a shout for Dennis in for for Chuch on the left, but yeah, I think it was um, pretty reasonable. And as far as selection, I don't think there's too many concerns going into that one. Um, I thought it was pretty fair. Yeah, Watford started quite brightly with uh, you know a lot of good work coming from Uri Kutschka, Ryan. Yeah, he he was busy enough, wasn't he? And you know, you always are going to get that from him. Um, work rate and desire. Maybe his legs can't quite keep up with his his brain sometimes. But um, you know, he's he's thirty three, getting on for for thirty four, and just wonder if he has maybe lost a, a couple of yards of pace in there. But you know, he's he's busy enough, and and will always give you that work rate certainly. Well, as someone who's 33 going on for 34, I can tell you I've certainly lost my legs. <laughs> but, but I'm nowhere near yeah, as good as you, I could get out. He um, drove well, didn't he? He, he, did, he, yeah. did, he did. He did offer something from the field. And I think, you know, it was it was one of those games where he, he seemed kind of one of the only ones perhaps to rise to the occasion. Um, but he, he he was doing well. I thought he was winning a lot of fouls. He was, he was carrying the ball. He was, he was carrying the ball more than Musa Sissoko, which is um, which is rare for Kuchka. But he was driving forward, winning for a thousand free kicks, and getting us into some dangerous positions. So I, I thought he had a really good, um, I thought he had a really good game. He had obviously a couple of wayward shots, but I thought overall it was definitely one of his better ones. Uh, it's a shame he didn't have a little bit more, a little bit more output similar to that from some of the others around him yesterday. I thought. Yeah, I'm always impressed by him whenever he gets back and makes a last ditch tackle that you think is is gone. But uh, he's got that in his locker, isn't he? 
he made that great tackle, didn't he, from behind. I can't remember who, who the tackle was on, but he just came from behind, won the ball cleanly and kind of turned away with it. And yeah, that was what he offered, just kind of both ways. I thought he was really, really good. It's probably the closest, I think, his in terms of level of performance to that um, that debut he had against Villa, where he was very, very good as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought he kind of offered some of the similar similar tributes we saw there, which is, uh, yeah, it was promising, but it was um, a shame that he wasn't able to do it for the entire 90, really. But Yeah, yeah I'd agree with that. Um, a close effort from loser from a free kick and the first 20 minutes Watford looked like making the, the breakthrough but uh, a defensive error and Rafinha capitalised and, and really took the wind out of the horn itself Ryan after you know a, a promising start yeah they were bright um, having said that though you know the, all of the threat came from, from set pieces didn't it you know you had the, the loser free kick and then you had the, the Hernandez free kick that mm. um, Millier tips away Yeah, but from, from open play it, it seemed like there wasn't too much in the way of ideas um, and that seemed to, you know, Kuchka winning those free kicks seemed to be their, their best attacking threat almost and then as, as you say that, that Rafinha goal, it's pretty calamitous at the back isn't it and, and you know, you're, you're back to back to where Watford have been so many times this season just you know, creating problems for themselves at, at the back and, and conceding goals which, you know, teams in the Premier League really can't afford to be conceding and and it's it's put them in a, a really awful position now hasn't it yeah it, it really it really has um and and you're right there the, the 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 clearest cut chances barring barring one that we'll talk about in a second pretty much came from dead ball situations that they were so hard to break down jordan what 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 was it that leeds were were doing tactically that uh stopped watford from being able to get through them well, I think Leeds are a very narrow playing team. They they organise narrowly with defend and attack in a narrow shape. And I think they offered a lot of room out wide. But if you have if you have Tuja Hernandez and Ismail Sar, they're not on their game. They're not capitalising on that space. I thought Sar had an off game yesterday. He wasn't he wasn't as threatening as he can be. It, it can be really difficult to operate. It was hard for Joe Pedro in there um, to kind of make space and, and find players around him. So we kind of ended up in a situation where, as you're both saying, free kicks and set pieces became the best opportunity because we were struggling to break them down. Um, we, we know we don't particularly penetrate through midfield. Imran loses the guy that can get the ball down and play into those forward areas. But the only real space open were the wide areas. So if you're not able to find gaps from there, then you're going to struggle. And I think that's kind of where we fell apart. It did lead us to that situation where, you know, we were having to look for other ways, other avenues, and that happened to be from corners and free kicks. I thought Kika Femenia's delivery was really good from corners yesterday. Um, probably the most consistent we've had, and that that was a that was an opportunity for us. Uh, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't fluid up front. I thought as the game went on, Jao Pedro was able to get involved a little bit more. He dropped a little bit deeper uh, and found some more space. But it was really, really difficult, and you know, it worked against us quite well. And I think Leeds played that game really well in that sense. Jordan, did they squeeze the space between the defence and midfield leads? It, it seemed like they were they were quite close together. Yeah, they, they they can play quite compact, and they also can change a lot during the game, which is nice. Then they have that pace to stretch um, from the front and open things up, but also get back and, and make things really constricted again. And if you if you if you're comfortable allowing um, possession in wide areas, it's really hard to really hard to break down that sort of team. Yeah, to know they can be solid in the box, they know that the midfield can be covered, and they allow your space, your fullbacks, and your and your wingers then. You know, it's tough to it's tough to find that way through the middle, and I think at times, you know, you have to be able to to do so. But we just don't really have that that technical ability through the midfield to kind of pick those passes and and be patient enough to break them open. We're not that sort of team. We carry the ball an absolute ton. Um, I, I'm not sure at the top of my head the um, the numbers, but we 
we definitely carry the ball and make more dribbles, more attacks in that sense than, than most teams. And in games like that, you saw it yesterday, there's countless numbers of dribbles yesterday. The way we just carry the ball, run at defenders, um, not really trying to pick apart teams. It's, it's a different way of attacking. Sometimes it's useful. It's one thing if you're counter-attacking, but when you have more of the ball, um, you're at home trying to take a little bit of control of the game. It's it's tough to really kind of wrangle that control because you're never really having consistent uh, moments of pressure. It's all kind of improvised and spur of the moment attacks, which they can be quite easy to foil and, and they, they fall down a little bit too quickly at times. Mm. And you mentioned Saar there, who, you know, underperformed yesterday. The, probably the clearest cut chance XG terms fell to him and he, you know, smashed it very wide. It was a, a good opportunity. He's got bundles of ability, hasn't he, Ryan? But we just haven't seen a lot of it in a Watford shirt this season. Yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously been hampered by uh, by several injuries and, you know, and then he went away to, to AFCON and then he came back and then he got injured. And then once he was fit again, he, he was away with Senegal again for those World Cup qualifying games. So, you know, he, he's not had a huge opportunity to really string a number of games together and, and build up any sort of real consistency. But as as Jordan said, yesterday was a, a real off game for him. I thought, you know, there were a couple of moments early on where, where you could see that he... He had the beating of of the left back thing was it was Dallas I think he had the beating of him for pace, but then when he got the ball there was a lot of cutting back and and real sort of indecision whenever he was in possession, and he just looked like he didn't really know what he wanted to do a lot of the time and and it was it was a very frustrating performance because the space was there particularly out wide and and he really couldn't make the most of it and then he had the 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 icing on the cake was that that miss, which you know you'd really expect him to to at least work the keeper or, or hit the target, and it was just rash and and rushed, and you know just not what you'd expect from a player of of his quality. I don't have to be too critical of someone like Sar. Obviously, he's a very talented player, but I do feel for coming a large portion of his time. Uh, with us there's so there's quite a few opportunities for him just to take it a little bit narrower at times I wish he'd sometimes run at the box a little bit more in attack I think his first his first thought in those wide areas is so often to cross and when we have so little in the box especially yesterday and it's so compact you kind of want to see him making those runs that Dennis makes a little bit more I know he's I know he'd be cutting in his weaker foot doesn't necessarily cut in but just attacking the attacking the box a little bit more and being a little bit more direct I think at times it's not often you see so kind of running into that side area of the box we could be winning penalties or getting shots off often he's really quite wide um, I know yesterday that's where the space was, but I think it would be nice to see him be a little bit more narrow at times and try and get some shots on goal as well. In the second half, guys, Watford again sort of came out and started quite brightly, but it, it wasn't long before they were under the cosh again. I mean, uh, I, you know, you, you said, Ryan, a second ago that, uh, you know, Sarge should have at least tested the goalkeeper. I can't remember any occasion when uh, Watford actually managed to produce a save from, from the goalkeeper. No, I, th- I think you... You really are struggling, aren't you? I mean, there was the Femenia corner that almost went under the bar and, and Melier sort of punched it off Sissoko's head and I think it was given as a, a goal kick in the end. I, I think other than that and sort of from set pieces, maybe the, the Cucho free kick that uh, Melier got a glove to, he he didn't really have an awful lot to do, did he? And in a game as important as, as yesterday's was, that's that's really disappointing, isn't it, to, to come away... With with one shot that's gone wide, as is sort of the the closest you've come to scoring a goal, you'd you'd really be hoping to to create much more than that. And and Watford just weren't able to. Leeds 
stuck to their task and and you know defended really really valiantly and and hats off to them. But Watford really needed a lot more, didn't they, going forward? Mm. Are you surprised, Jordan, that uh, that Roy didn't change it a bit earlier? It seemed as though he waited an age before bringing King on. And I, I realise, obviously, Dennis came on quite early, but that was down to an injury to, to Hernandez. We're not sure, you know, if he had been brought on that early other than that. But, um, you know, the King substitution seemed to come a bit too little too late, really. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous, honestly. I think that the way we handled the subs yesterday was pretty poor. I, I, I just think when you're when you're in that situation that we're in, you're in that sort of game day situation, you have to... You have to be given the team's opportunity to win. You, you know, we have to win that game. It is, it is really a must-win. I don't see how you kind of avoid that train of thought. Um, and the, the way we, we're so slow to make changes. Uh, bring, as you say, bringing King on, also bringing Kushka off for Kayembe. Maybe Kushka has to come off. You know, he played seventy-one minutes or, or whatever the number was, and it was a tough seventy-one minutes for him. I thought that was a surprising one actually, because he seemed to be really getting into his stride at that point. I was surprised that he was that he was that he was Honestly, taking off. The, I I I've, I know this is, this is a I just when I've watched Roy's in terms of his his, his game management I really don't see it feels like there's a lack of understanding for momentum and I I just see that Kushka was someone that I would rather have a fatigued Kushka in there playing in the way he's playing uh, in in the importance of that game that is that is a one off you have to think of it as a one off game you're not thinking about saving Kushka for the next one there is no next one if we lose that so I think Kushka's got to stand the pitch but regardless if he decides to take Kushka off the thought of the idea of bringing on Kayembe who I mean, can anyone remember a single memorable moment that Kambe contributed since when he came on after that game? That's not his sort of. That's not his role. He's someone that keeps possession ticking over. He's playing the ball sideways. He can make, maybe win you the ball back, but he's not someone that's going to come on and and push you forwards. It really killed momentum. It killed our ability to stretch the to stretch the game. Um, once Kambe came on, we weren't having that driving midfield player from from Kuchka, and that really affected us getting the ball to our wide players too. Um, yeah, I think it was. I think it was a killer for us, it, and it was only a few seconds after that we conceded too. Uh, and then also, you, you know, you say about Josh King. Josh King coming on the 80th minute is just. I mean, uh, I just don't. I just don't see the rationale. I'd love to hear an explanation. I don't see the rationale personally. Um, I, it does. It does frustrate me because we have options in the bench. Uh, we have the the opportunity to change it. You know, we know what the, we know what the game is. It's very clear to see. And obviously, you know, I'm I'm not just trying to sit here and criticise a manager that's been doing this for a long time. But sometimes it is that simple. You have a you have an opportunity, you have a strike on the bench, you leave them on there for way too long, uh, and you don't you know you're not making chances. Then I, I don't really see the answer. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, the second goal for Leeds pretty much sealed the win for them, didn't it? Disappointing as well that it was an error from Kamara and Samir, two players who have been really good for Watford recently, but uh, I'm not sure why that ball wasn't cleared by one of them. So close to Foster's goal as well. I mean, it, it, awful decision-making. Barely even had to be cleared either. It could have just turned out to the right. And you, I know it's easy to say to sit here like armchair, decide those situations, but you know, 99% of the time, those defenders, those fullbacks are going to be comfortable turning out away from goal. Playing across the strange one, but yeah, as you said, massively costly. Yeah. Um, what, what what was the impression you got there, Ryan, from from the conceding that second one? It seemed to it seemed as like a a bit of an exodus began after that from the uh, the Vicarage Road. Yeah, it was. I think a lot of the the fans that was the the, the moment that they lost all hope of of getting anything from that game. Um, and it was a real killer blow, as as you know, as Roy Hodgson described it, because you know you had the Sar chance, and there was at one nil. You, you you're always in the game, but to to concede like that and to concede 
the way they did was was just so so disappointing for for everyone and and you know you saw that the players heads dropped a bit further after that and it was just a complete mood killer and then just any any remnants of hope after that were were, were really gone and it was you know f- from then on you were just almost waiting for for Leeds to get the third i think it was yeah, just completely sucked all the uh, all the energy out of the the stadium, or, or what was remaining in the stadium anyway. Mm. A terrific third though from Harrison. He really drilled that one, didn't he, Jordan? Uh, I just wish he'd had a, a yellow shirt on because by that point it was it was just rubbing salt in the wound, really. Yeah, it was just yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a final nail in the coffin for us for sure. It was it was unpleasant. <laughs> To watch for, for large portions and yeah that kind of sealed it off so um, I think as as Ryan's saying there the mood in the ground clearly kind of hit that point already and uh, yeah just kind of compiled things. I was I was pretty shocked um, from the whole game to be honest I, I really didn't have this down as a 3-0 defeat I thought it would be uh, you know a lot tighter than that. Ryan you spoke to Roy post game what, what was his feelings about it? Yeah um, I mean he's He's honest, which you know you suppose you have to give him credit for. But he, you know, he was talking. He was he was asked by uh, by someone else if he was confident that he could still uh, survive this season. Which, given the circumstances, I think is you know it's maybe not something that you'd expect him to 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 really be able to answer. But he he said that you know Watford don't really have any reason to feel confident he said that they've they've got belief and that they have faith and they're going to approach each game and, and continue to try and win and I suppose it, until it's mathematically decided that Watford are relegated that's that's what they have to do um but yeah his, he was very much just saying look it's from his point of view the result was harsh he he didn't think it was uh, a 3-0 and we've we've seen him do that before you know he's come out after the the 4-1 defeat to Crystal Palace he he said that was a harsh result which I respectfully disagree with him on I thought that was a quite a fair result to be honest and and you know he 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 does back his players and he he backed them before the game um he said that he wouldn't accept any criticism of them and and you know he was asked yesterday if if he felt his defenders had let him down and he said that okay, there were mistakes, particularly before the second goal, as as we've just discussed. But he said that you know that's part and parcel of football, and and you know that's that's something you have to accept. It. It's going to happen. But he he felt that you know Leeds weren't constantly on the attack. Watford weren't constantly under pressure, and and that you know it's uh, a result that a scoreline certainly that flatters Leeds from from his point of view. Um, but yeah, he. He was he was very honest in his assessment of, of the situation. Certainly, that's even worse in my opinion. Though if if these aren't in the attack the whole time, they win three 0 Then what does that say about the way you're defending as well? I think uh, it's it's a frustrating one for me. I kind of hope that when he when he came into this situation, it being his last job, you'd imagine, I thought there'd be a little bit of um, a little bit more openness to to kind of discussing some of the points. It'd be quite refreshing to hear a little bit more maybe it's an honest opinion but it would be refreshing to hear something a little bit more with a little bit more substance to it because they are you know they're in a situation right now which is they're looking down a barrel of relegation and it would be interesting to hear the thoughts of of a manager that's in that position talking about his team quite bluntly because as you say they're kind of defending them against Palace for example you know it's just it's it's kind of not disrespectful necessarily but 
everyone who's watched that game can see how poorly the team played. I think to try and defend the team to that degree is just a little bit, um, I don't know, it just, ha- just brings that kind of false feel of an interview like a little bit further down down my throat for me. But Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I don't disagree. I, I think, you know, that the results and, and the, the string of results, okay, he's not been there for the whole time and you have the, the Arsenal result in there, which, you know, Watford actually did play quite well in that game, but still, you know, they they did lose 3-0 yesterday and they did lose 4-1 to Crystal Palace and, and you know, particularly yesterday, they, they created a lot of their own problems for themselves. So, you know, that there does perhaps need to be a, a, a bit more of a reflection on on why those mistakes keep happening and, and why the scorelines are 4-1 and, and 3-0 and, and 4-0 away at Wolves. You know, yeah. why why are these scorelines happening? Because, you know, it's this isn't an aberration. This is something that's happened a few times now. And, and you know, in, instead of just saying, oh, the defenders didn't let me down, it, it's mistakes, mistakes are part of football, you know, maybe explain why exactly, mistakes yeah. are a part of, of, of football. He, and, and... Yeah. I mean, he's capable of explaining the situation. He's capable of adding more depth to those answers. And I think if you, you know, you, I think the fans want to hear that. I think the fans want to hear honesty. And I think I think most people would appreciate much more hearing, you know, hearing a, some, an answer with more substance than kind of trying to actually dissect a little bit. And look, I'm not saying... You know, reveal anything that could be costly to the team. I'm just saying, just kind of talk about things and, and, and be a little bit more open in terms of what your feelings are without throwing players under the bus if that's what you want to avoid. But you can you can kind of be a little bit a little bit more have give a little bit more of an assessment of a situation and just kind of get people understanding what what our plan is. Because if you're going to try and keep fans on board for this remainder of the season now, when there's such a slim chance, you really kind of have to throw that stuff aside, I think, and just try and engage a little bit more and, and find a different way of connecting with those with those people. Because right now, it just kind of continues to to create that kind of closed off divide where you know everyone feels a little bit disconnected and you get those sorts of answers after a pretty costly uh, defeat at home perhaps he doesn't know the answers jordan i mean you know, maybe maybe he doesn't yeah. know why the boys are, are underperforming maybe yeah maybe it's possible it's very possible who knows that's the thing we don't know um but i'd like to hear him try and answer some of those questions and you know i look it's, it's difficult we saw the answer to the question when he was asked um when Imran Luz was, I can't remember who they were playing against now, but when Imran Luz was brought off in a home game for KMB, and he kind of answered the question in a weird way, and that caused a lot of reaction. I wonder if, you know, those sorts of answers having a negative reaction has kind of pushed him further down the route of not wanting to respond in that way. Um, but yeah, maybe he doesn't know the answer. It's, it's hard to tell, uh, but certainly um, kind of just rattling off kind of cliches and. I know, look, don't get me wrong, I also know it's a difficult situation to, to go to a press conference after a game like that and having to answer a lot of questions, which, mm. you know, do you feel you, you know, do you feel you can save this team? Still is obviously a very difficult question to answer because the the reality is probably no, but it, he doesn't want to answer that. So he, he's in a difficult situation for sure. Um but yeah, it's just not quite not quite what we're looking for, I'd say. Do you think Roy's position is in danger, Ryan? Um, I mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, do you? <laughs> um, as as far as I'm aware, it's I, I don't think they will get rid of him. But then you know, it's not worth the compensation, is it? It's it's really? not worth. It, yeah, it's it's not worth it. He's he's not expected to stay on beyond the end of this season. Um, you know, it's this is very much a short term deal, and the chance is going to be there in the summer for them to. I mean, they're, I'm sure they're already got names in mind. Um, for, for who they want to take over, 
you know, and, and I'm sure they had a, a short list compiled for, for both leagues, be it the Championship or be it the Premier League. And then, you know, now they're almost certainly going to be looking more at the, the managers who are going to take them on in the Championship and, and who might fancy the job in, in the second tier rather than the Premier League. But you know, I, I think it it wouldn't be worth parting ways now. It's, it's you know, he's he's here till the end of the season and... and I think that'll be the case. But, I mean, it's Watford. You never know, do you? I mean, the the, the point to do it would have been um, when we had that break. Uh, we had like a two-week break, didn't we? I suppose once he got past that, we kind of knew that it would be him in charge for the end of the season. I only really asked because, of course, Nigel Pearson was released uh, with a couple of games to go. And that surprised me as well. So, you know, like you say, yeah, you, the, you, know, you the, don't the, know what the positives are going to do. The, the Pearson situation was a little bit, different in that there you know there were it wasn't purely to do with results was it with with Nigel it was you know there was a bit more to it with with Roy I don't think you're going to get any um you know anything other than than result reasons um put it that way <laughs> so a pretty deflating day today and yesterday and uh probably for the rest of the week to be honest but uh <laughs> Mathematically, it's not over, um, even though we feel as though it is. Um, I mean, the Everton victory coupled with Watford's defeat has opened a six-point gap, but with seven games left, uh, there's still a possibility. But as far as we're all concerned, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, so I'm going to ask you, do we do we think that, um, that it's game, set and match? I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult to see... Um see a scenario play out in which Watford stay up now, isn't it? It's, you know, that's the, the honest truth. Um, the, you know, the, just the, the home form is, is so, so bleak. I mean, to, to have matched that nine consecutive defeat record that stood since 1971-72 is, is, is some going because I think, you know, they, they finished that season, I think it was 19 points they finished with that season. They've already lost more games this season than they lost the last time they were relegated. Um, so just, you know, from, from every angle and, and with Everton winning, yeah, I mean, you you wonder how much perhaps that deflated the, the players, if it did at all, before kickoff, knowing that that gap had been opened up. You know, it's just whatever way you square this, it, it just it there's no clear way in which Watford can can pull something off here without it being described as as miraculous. I mean, the five five thirty eight, the uh, the predictor website that takes into account you know quality of opponent and everything to to come, they're saying Watford have got a ninety six percent chance of, of being relegated now, and and you know I would. I wouldn't argue with that at all. No, that that feels about the right sort of percentage, Jordan. Yeah, I think it's. I think as you say that. I mean, especially the home form is a big one too, isn't it? I mean, what a contrast from last season in terms of home form. Um, Yeah, it's hard to look at. It's hard to look at these fixtures. Look at the teams around us, how they're playing, uh, and see see a true way out. I think if we kind of came away from these games feeling a little bit more. And even the results have been the same, but we had a little bit more about us. I think the, the manner of the defeat has really made it hard to see a route out. As as much as it's not technically done, um, I think when you look at how we lost that game at home three 0 you do have to ask how this team finds a way out of a situation, a situation or kind of route out which demands a lot of character. And I think one thing you can say we've definitely lacked 
uh, over the last few games, especially at home, has been a level of character. The capitulation we've seen when we've gone behind has been so concerning that I, I don't know how that team kind of turns things around in, in the games that they need to. I, I don't see uh, Watford doing what, what Burnley did to Everton the other night. I don't see us able to being able to do that. And I think that really takes us out of the picture. Um, and, uh, again, as, as Ryan's saying there, you combine that with the home form, which is abysmal, um, and somewhere that's meant to be an opportunity for us to kind of raise our levels and, and perhaps kind of punch above our weight a little bit. If you take that out of the equation, it's extremely difficult to see us uh, finding a way out out of this one. Okay, guys, let's get some questions then that have been sent in to the Watford pod. Uh, and if you want to send in a question for uh, for next week, just uh, find us on Twitter at Watford pod. Give us a follow and uh, and send us a message, either, either DM or just posting it there and uh, we'll get to that one next week. Um, let's start then with one from... Marcus, Marcus, uh, <laughs> Marcus says, did we feel left out uh, of not being invited to the new fans committee? Um, Jordan, perhaps you can first explain for those of us uh, listening in that what, what the fans committee is. Yeah, so from what from what we're aware of, it seems to be a, a form of communication between the club and a select group of fans uh, to kind of discuss matters and questions that maybe the fans, uh, fan group as a general, uh, sorry, fans as a whole have had these kind of broader questions which we felt needed some answers. Um, this seems to be a, a, an attempt to kind of open that line of communication. But I think the thing which has created some frustration is that that group is closed off, selected by the club, and at this point is only allowed to kind of reveal the content of the the conversations had when given the, the green light from the club to do so. So it does kind of create this atmosphere of, um, well, it kind of, kind of furthers the, the frustration that the, the fans had, but just kind of puts in a different perspective. So, yeah, it's a little bit strange. Um, and I feel a little bit sorry, actually, for the fans that have been invited into that because they've kind of been thrown under the bus a little bit by the club too. Um, but in terms of do I feel or do we feel a little bit left out um i i mean i didn't even no one even knew about it until uh, the statement from from Duxbury. It, it would have been i guess nice to be involved in it because there are you know i'd like to hear some of the answers that were given but then at the same time if it can't be discussed then i'm not really that interested to be honest because <laughs> i don't know i just feel i guess we'll get into our, our, our thoughts on it a little bit further so i guess i'll ask first do you feel left out matt <laughs> <laughs> well um it would have been nice to be asked. It would have been nice to be asked, but um, it, it, it didn't come. I'll, I'll tell you a few people who who, who have been uh, uh, admitted. Uh, the City Horns Regional Supporters Group, Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast, EA Horns from the Rookery End podcast, Golden Pages fanzine, Jewish Hornets, Proud Hornets, Southern Counties Hornets, the 181 movement, the Hornets Nest, Watford Supporters Trust, WAD18, Fan Channel, Women of Watford FC and the YBR fanzine. Um, all, all fantastic groups. Um, I wouldn't uh, argue against any of them being uh, involved. Um, but do I feel left out? Well, I suppose a little bit. But um, if they don't want us, that's that's fine. You know. <laughs> Honestly, what would be the point of us being there if we can't even discuss it anyway? You know, I feel like that, especially if we're the thing. I don't like. Actually, I've gone. I'll let Andy go first before I before I. Uh... Sorry, Ryan, go first. I say Andy. So like Ryan go first before I get fed <laughs> I, I was speaking to an Andy right before this, so apologies. It's, it's all right, James. No worries, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is this is payback. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd, I'd, so fundamentally, increasing communication with supporters is a good idea, but it's it's. I think the the, the timing of the announcement is is 
really questionable. I, I would I would say, and and as you say, the the way it's you know, the way it's it's made some of the supporters who are included look is 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 you know not a great look either. Um, but it's it's a really difficult one to to really drill into here because you can you can understand why the club have done it but then there's this weird confidentiality which is the 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 main crux of of why people are confused and and not entirely happy now when when the club releases things releases statements via social media etc they then <laughs> will receive among the, among the responses there's there's always abuse and and you know just unhappy people voicing their their opinion which they're entitled to do but maybe not doing that in the right way and i suppose this is a way for the club to try and get the people who they feel best represent the fan base now that may it's really it's really difficult to to kind of sum up exactly how i feel about it because it's it's incredibly conflicting but it when you when you do that when you single out people you you then suggest that okay these people's opinions are more valid than other people's, which is not a great thing to say. And then to to also have that um, memorandum of understanding between those people and the club as well is also not great as well, because it also suggests these people are worthy of, of hearing what we're going on, whereas the rest of the fans aren't. But then the, it, it is an open process. It, it's as, as is stated on the website, anyone can apply to be involved so if 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 supporters want to then you know there is a, a system in which they can put their name forward and, and and suggest that they they should be involved as well so it's 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 so difficult to 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 and you can you I can see where the club are coming from but I can also see why a lot of people consider this to be a massive own goal and from my point of view I I probably won't be uh, applying to, to to be included. I'm not sure I'll, the club would let me anyway. But to to sign up on on those terms where everything is is confidential, I'd yeah, it, it, that's that's the bit that kind of sticks in the core and, and seems a bit bit off to me. I think it's insane. I I don't understand. I, I don't, if you if you can't answer questions publicly. That, that these aren't questions that are gonna. These aren't questions that are gonna give, give away a tactical advantage to the opposition. If you can't be, if you can't be open with the way you approach things uh, to the fan base as a as a whole, as a larger as a larger group, through things like fan forums. You know, you had these fan forums previously that have attempted to do, and they could have been more open in those situations too. There's nothing to that the, the the fans might be hostile right now because of the situation, but I can guarantee you, as a club, nothing will nothing will make you look better if you, as a CEO. As an owner, if you admit mistakes or are honest about how you are, people can relate to someone that's talking honestly. When you come out and you talk in these kind of these politician style statements, which you know are just very clearly kind of curated discussion points, which are not kind of open. And if the only place you can have those conversations is with a select group of fans, which honestly, all of those fan all of those fan groups and all these people that are brought in, this isn't a criticism of them, but they all have vested interest in having a good relationship with the club. Suddenly they're involved in this in this small group 
having these conversations and they're not going to be talking about negatively about the club. They then feel obligated to talk positively about the club, to stay within that group and stay close to the, to kind of, you know, having those conversations with the ownership, with Duxbury at fear of being excluded from that area. Should they talk ne- negatively? Now, I'm not saying that these people are all going to become mouthpieces for the club because I think a lot of these people are smarter than that. But that is that does have that potential when it's this this closed off area. And if it doesn't, even if that's not the case, that's exactly how it's going to look for everyone outside of it. So you create this weird atmosphere and this weird situation, which is so avoidable by either just not doing it or having a more open platform. And yeah, you, it's great. You can apply, but you can also get rejected. So uh, I don't really mm. see kind of the benefit of that. It's just very, very strange. I, I don't really... It just seems extremely tone deaf, and whoever kind of came up with this idea, I just don't think understands the the, the medium they're working in, because these people that these people that do these, uh, you know, you've got the fan channels, you've got WD18, you've got other podcasts, and so on. These are people that communicate with the fans. These are fan created um, platforms to kind of discuss the club with other fans, and we don't have that level of separation. As soon as you start attaching yourself to the club and start tying to yourself to a position where you then can't speak freely, it, it's it's much harder. It's like having a conversation with something you're sponsored by. You can't. It's very difficult to talk negatively about it or talk talk openly and honestly when you have um, kind of part of your job or, or whatever you kind of view it as is tied to that 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 entity is just seems like a conflict of interest yeah I, I think they're all completely fair points um and then you know right right at the start of that you mentioned there were the fan forums and this seems to be a solution to a problem that didn't necessarily exist because if you continue those fan forums and and have more of them then then communication isn't a problem it's it's saying that they want to communicate more and then saying that it's confidential between a select group of people is, you know, a contradiction in terms is, is you know, as is, is mm-hmm. plainly as I can say, I think. Yeah, it's it's very strange. I mean, and, you know, what are these questions that can't be answered so publicly? You know, it's, I would not, I don't envy the people that are in this group and have to wait for a green light to discuss talking points they want to discuss. And, you know, the club, it's just, it, it feels to me an attempt to filter filter the narrative from influential people um, who are, I could, you could say are partially not responsible, but they're included in, in talking negatively about the club. And I've seen, you know, all these people have talked negatively because they're speaking honestly as fans. There's been a lot of negative things discussed, but it, it seems to me as an outsider to this situation that it's an attempt to to, to filter um, the narrative a little bit and, and change the kind of mindset of some of the more influential fans who can then pass down that feeling to the people that listen and follow their, their stuff. But I don't think that they realise it doesn't work like that because people can see people can see through these sorts of things and it just further excludes you. Um, I mean, you, if you feel excluded... If you feel excluded anyway, there's nothing that makes you feel more excluded than creating a private group that you're not part of now as well. So I just think it's very strange. Yeah, so sorry, Matthew, to, to to keep going on about this, but you know, and and we've we we have seen on social media some of the the people who are involved receiving, you know, on on the receiving end of this this frustration and 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 anger from some of the supporters who who don't think the club have gone about this in the right way, and I think that's. That I would say that's not the right thing to do, and, and anyone who is annoyed with it should should voice their anger to the club rather than the people who are involved. Because I don't I don't begrudge anyone for wanting to be involved. You know who who wouldn't want to be if if the club 
if you're a, a fan and the club are validating you as you know a, a, a content producer or whatever and saying would you would you like to come and, and take part in these discussions of, of course you would so I think attacking those people isn't the right way to go about it I think the club maybe needs to be made more aware of, of why this is unpopular and and anyone feeling that it is you know has has every right to, to voice their concerns but the right go the right way about it and and maybe not attack those people yeah, yeah that's completely fair right i think like why would it's not it's not there's those those people's faults i mean as you say if 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 you're producing content around Watford and you get asked to to come and you know be involved in those those meet those forums 100 percent. why wouldn't you, you want to be there you want to have the information these people that are joining this don't know everything's necessarily going to be private and not able to be released until then there's just they've, they've been as i said they've been thrown under the bus and there's no point getting to them. Unfortunately, they're actually kind of feels like they're the only avenue of, of conversation because there's no way to talk to the club or talk to these people which are kind of making these decisions. So I think people get frustrated and that becomes the outlet. But yeah, they've done nothing wrong. They've just simply been invited to something that anyone would want to have a, have an interest in uh, and, and, and then put in that situation. And I think the club have, have been quite unfair to those they've brought in as well. How... I don't know how you. I don't know how you go through the, the process of organising this and, and getting this far down the line without having a thought or the negative reaction it would have. I just, it's honestly just baffling to me. Um, but yeah, here we are. What are your thoughts on this, Matt? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't know much about it uh, until it was announced. Um, and then when I saw that it, it uh, you know, it's, it was happening. Um, Full disclosure, I, I thought, oh, maybe we should be involved in this. So I fired off an email and said, oh, yeah, we don't mind joining. Uh, and then when I went on Twitter, you know, uh, you know, a few hours later, I saw there was a big backlash to it. And uh, I thought, oh, perhaps I shouldn't have, uh, have sent an email asking, asking to join. I'm, I'm not sure if they would even get back to us anyway, because it seems like um, from the from the backlash they made, they may decide to, to hit this one on the on the head. Not but, after uh, this one, they might not anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what all, all good points from everyone um you know i i don't think i'd like to be part of an exclusive club because that's not the way that that that, that football works you know you should let all the fans know about about the plans why, why should only a select few know I, I, it, it does seem a bit silly when you think about it but um yeah there you go that's my thoughts well and i think i think too it's difficult because it it implies um the, the situation in that has, has evolved implies now that people within the group are complicit and happy to be part of this elite it creates this elitist approach which i don't think is actually the case at all for the people in there and that's what i mean i think it's quite quite unfair on on the guys that are involved um but you know if i if i was involved in that situation right now if the situation is what we think it is I'd 100% not be interested because all these people want to discuss these things. They all have a, a platform to talk about these things. If we joined as a podcast and then were only able to discuss certain things, then I'd rather just not be part of it. You know, I'd rather it's not it's not relevant to us anymore if we can't discuss it. Um, it's obviously nice to have that knowledge for yourself, but uh, I, I'm kind of interested in talking about it at, at large with more people. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen what is... Um, what is discussed and what is given the green light to do, but it just gives me an un- it just makes me feel uncomfortable to be think to to think about having to be censored in any way, which effectively you are being censored because you're being told when you can talk and when you can't, uh, and I think that's a um, that's a, tr- a tricky thing to deal with, and especially uh, in the current times, I think it's such a it, it's such an inflammatory uh, subject that kind of falling on the wrong side of it just seems again tone deaf. 
you know, I think I think it might be a good idea to have all of these people that are involved in these different groups in some kind of place where they can put forward ideas towards the the board, um, because I suspect that, that, that these guys um, probably have some good ideas. But I don't see why the communication shouldn't be shared, um, you know, to everyone rather than just being like a, a two-way thing between no. these two groups. I think... I think that that's that's one way that this could work. If there was like a group of full of these people who uh, just can come up with good ideas that they can put forward to the board in in a way that um, feels more like it has uh, a bit of backing behind it, rather than you know the odd person just sending an email saying, "Oh, I think this is a good idea," and having that ignored. Yeah. If you've got several people all who clearly have Watford, you know, at their hearts, getting behind one idea. That they've all come, you know, they've all chatted about previously and, and decided let's put our ideas behind this one and then and push this towards the board. Then the board might have to take that with a bit more more weight to it. Yeah, yeah, they might have to take it a bit more seriously. And um, yeah. that, so that that could be not that could be a positive thing that that, that might come out of uh, the no, idea. It's good. It's good to have a. It's you have to you have to streamline a little bit, a, kind of a, a part of the communication, a line of communication. It's obviously difficult for them to speak to everyone, have a back and forth. If you're going to have a back and forth. I understand the thinking in having um, a little bit more of a kind of dialed in, a little more channeled kind of way of doing it rather than speaking the broader sense, having having a few kind of cables to go back and forth between rather than trying to do it on a broader level. But you're still restricting the information. I, I do encourage people that are involved in this to, to have a connection with the club where it suits you, but don't let it affect, you don't want to let it affect what you're doing because ultimately you are where you are without having that um, that, that connection. If it comes at the price of, of not being able to actually do what you want to do and discuss the things you want to discuss. I just don't think it's worth it. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Right, okay, we need to move on from this one because uh, several questions still to come and we're running out of time here. So let's um, move on to one from at Watford FC 9. He's asked three questions in one, so we'll try and um, get from it if we can. First one is, how much thought is going into next season? Second one, uh, do you genuinely believe uh, they're planning on making a challenge for promotion next season? Uh, and uh, are we just out of depth now uh, in the Premier League for sure? So uh, we can probably put all those into one question, really. Uh, who wants to have a, have a first stab at that? Yeah, sure. Um, in, in terms of thought going for next season, I'm, I'm sure that when, when you're kind of in the situation we were in, uh, in, in the first season back in the Premier League, you're always kind of simultaneously planning for survival and relegation you have to be trying to cover both areas so yes definitely um there'll be thought going into next season when it comes to recruitment players coming and going uh also head coach that's obviously a big thing that's gonna be thought about for a long time uh since since the second of Munoz, I'm sure we've been we've been planning who our coach will be for next year I don't think Ranieri or Hodgson have ever been considered to be longer than this season uh so yeah lots of um, lots of thought going there for sure in terms of planning to make a challenge for promotion, I think, yeah, 100% they'll be planning to do that. I think there's still players that are in that in-between phase where they're not definitely guaranteed to be moving on, but still have got some Premier League quality. You look at the likes of uh, yeah, Pedro Kamara, who just signed Imran Luzer. These players aren't certain um, certain for leaving should we get relegated. Uh, I think they'd look at the squad and say there's some, there's some assets there you can build around and put yourself in a position to push for promotion. Whether or not that, that kind of comes to fruition or not, it's hard to tell at this point, but uh, there are pieces there to consider yourself as promotion contenders. So I'm sure they are they are doing so. And in terms of being out of our depth, um, it's kind of a broader discussion maybe as, as how we are kind of managed to run as a club. But I, I think at this point we are, in, in terms of being a Premier League team, we've kind of come a little bit underprepared uh, in a few areas and it's, it's cost us. 
Okay, cool. Um, next question comes from Chris. Graham Taylor said Watford should aim to be a top 30 club. Uh, and that's what we are under 10 years of the Pozzo regime. Uh, why does it feel we are failing when in reality this is one of the most successful periods in our history? Ryan? Yeah, it's it's a very good point. I think, you know, relegation is never going to be enjoyable, is it? Um, no, no matter if it's, you know, technically the most successful sort of era since probably the 80s, you know. And... and... <laughs> It's it's never going to be enjoyable, but where where I think that it feels particularly unpleasant is that the 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 way that things have the way the club have gone about the business this season I think hasn't helped. It's it's you know incredibly difficult to to form bonds with the, these players, or you know with you you know you can't really get to to like any head coach can you or, or get to to know any of the head coaches because they're gone you know a few months later and there's no identity there's there's no real definable style there's there's nothing about the current Watford era that you could you could say this is you know stereotypically or, or idiosyncratically Watford you, you, there's nothing for the fans to to really cling on to in in terms of that aspect and i think that really is is why it's it's it has been quite so you know unpleasant this season just because there the the there doesn't seem to be much of a forward plan into you know when you you look at the likes of of Ranieri and 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 Hodgson and they're not forward thinking ideas are they they're very much sticking plasters and i think you'd have to say since probably javi gracia left that's that's the way the club has has been managed hasn't it, it it's been reactive rather than progressively thought about and i think and i think you know from that point of view it's 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 not easy for the for the fans to to enjoy that is it and i think that's probably why it doesn't feel quite so you know quite as, as, as good as perhaps, you know, maybe stepping back and looking at the club overall and, and you know, their their history and, and where they are now. I think, you know, if, if you if you had an idea that they were building towards something, which, you know, perhaps, you know, you, you did have in 2019 when they got to that FA Cup final and, and you know, things were, were looking really positive to go from there to where they are now feels like a, a huge step down. And, and, and I think that's, that's probably why it, it feels like it does. We also have potential as a club. That's the thing as well. We have, we actually have the potential to do better. I think top thirty, maybe at the time of the statement was fair, but I think we should be aiming a little bit higher than that now. I think given the the assets we have at our disposal and, and some of the kind of funds we put into the club and what we're trying to do as a club, in on a, on a larger scale, if you look at kind of stadium development and, and pushing forwards and trying to get Premier League status, you know, more consistently, then top thirty is not it's not a satisfying conclusion because we we can do better and we should be trying to do better and always aspiring to do better uh, and maybe if you're looking at it from a completely above above ground view you might say yeah you know top 30 is good but on a week-to-week basis as a fan of a club it's not it's not enjoyable it's not the way you want to do it combined with all the things uh, Ryan just said there too I, I think it does it does it doesn't feel like success um, when you're getting relegated with uh, a team that hasn't won at home since November, I'm sure you can ask any season ticket holder. I don't feel like they've had a successful season, so it's not enjoyable. It's meant to be entertainment, and if it's all miserable, then it's hard to uh, to come away feeling too satisfied. I'd say. 
Mm. I think Duxbury said at one stage that he wanted Watford to be the best of the rest, and I don't see any reason <laughs> yeah, why. <laughs> I don't see any reason why why we shouldn't aim for that. I, I mean, obviously it would be, it would be incomprehensible to suggest that we should be any higher than that, given the weights of budgets that uh, you know that some teams have, and and with the likes of Newcastle, even more teams are starting to join that select elite group, but. I think Watford certainly could make a case for being in the Premier League, not based on their performances this season, but based on on the club and and you know if they can get the right players in and and get them producing, then I think that that's not out of, out of question. So you know I'd, I'd I'd support that statement, even though it feels like it's quite a silly one now. That's it. You've, yeah. you've seen, particularly from eighteen nineteen season, it, you've seen that it can be done. And and I, th- I think that is is the, the you know the the real crux of it. You know, just a, just a, f- a few years ago, things were were looking really good and progressive, and then and now it's 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 a mess, isn't it? And and it is just a a, a backward step. Yeah, I think we'll probably spend a few seasons in the championship now. Though I, d- I don't see us getting back at, at, at the first attempt. Let's move on to another question. Um, this one comes from Nick Lansing. Hodgson was criticised early in February for expecting more from forwards Saar and Dennis, and he's put in brackets and King. Did Saar and Dennis prove Hodgson right today? That he should be expecting more from them? I, I, I assume so, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's a one-off game. You could be expecting more for sure, but they've also been you know, large contributors to... To the team as well, so it's kind of uh, it's difficult. I think in certain situations you want them to be more productive, of course, mm-hmm. but um, it, you know it's a tough situation for our attackers. They did they weren't great yesterday. I thought Saar had one of his worst games, of course, but um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a, it's a it's a broad, it's a more of a team a team as a whole thing for me. But what do you guys feel on that? Yeah, I'd, one one of the 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 things that I think Dennis, particularly with Dennis. Um, that, that has changed as the season's gone on is his decision making. Um, you know, when he was confident at the start of the season and, and he went on that run and scored all those goals, he every time he got the ball, you, you always felt that he he knew what he was going to do with it, and then it was usually more often than not the, the the right idea. But now he's he's getting the ball, and then he looks like he's caught in sort of two or three minds and doesn't really know what what he's doing with it, and then it's just. You know, it's probably a confidence thing, but it's it is something that's definitely changed in him, and I, I think we've seen what he can do this season, and and he isn't doing it anymore. So I think you know you you could say that he 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 can offer more, so so perhaps should find a way to do so. And off the back of that, Matt C says Saar looks like a shadow of the player he was before injury. Did being rushed back from Afcon halt his performance? We kind of covered that. A little bit earlier, but on that particular note, did um, being rushed back from Afcon? Do you think that's halted his performance at all? Doesn't help, does it? No, I suppose it doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't. But but also having having that time away, and, you know, coming and going, is you know, it, it, it won't really help him either. I mean, I think we're all agreed. Yesterday was was by his standards well below par, and you know he's. Whether he's had his head turned or not, he's he's come up with this statement this morning, saying that he or, or last night I think it might have been where he said he's you know committed to to Watford's goal of of trying to stay in the Premier League. I think it's maybe a bit too late for that, but um, you know he's he's adamant and and Hodgson as well. 
was adamant and said that he's committed and, and and hasn't been phased by you know his his agent or as as Sar said last night someone who he's he's distanced himself from but um this this agent coming out and, and saying that he is probably going to be moving on this summer i mean it Hodgson didn't seem too pleased with it but he he said that it hasn't affected Sar but you know that that might not be the case. Well, it's the worst kept secret. I, mean, I don't know why he's. I don't know why he's that unhappy with it. Everyone knows, don't they? Yeah, I, I mean, you'd, you'd be surprised to see him in a Watford shirt next season, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't. I mean, look, his performances recently haven't really, um, I don't know, backed up a statement that I was about to say, which he, that he doesn't deserve to play in the championship because <laughs> maybe he does. <laughs> but uh, I mean, we know that his quality is far better than than that of uh, of the championship. So. Uh, and you know, playing for a different team, he, he he could probably get back to his best, but um, it's unlikely he'll be with us next season. Um, okay, this one comes from Kieran. Uh, he says, on a scale of one to ten, ten being the worst, how bad was Duxbury's latest genius <laughs> idea? I, I I guess he's referring to the uh, the committee. Is that what he's referring? The first line discussed at the committee. We don't know about. Um, <laughs> I'd say, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's pretty bad. I mean, I think I think I was, we're pretty clear on that. I think it's, I think it's definitely at the very least just very ill-advised and could have done with someone, someone who maybe understands uh, kind of the, the the tone of the room a little bit more, or just kind of how how this system works, how social media works, how people work. Going over this and maybe kind of saying some or pushing back a little bit and saying some of the kind of negatives to this that I I, I don't think it's great. Kieran's asking for a number, Jordan. He wants one to ten. Oh, um, one to ten. Oh, I'll give it a nine. A nine? Ooh, that's bad. At this point, I'd give it a nine, yeah. Right, Ryan, Ryan uh, one to ten? It may, be, it may be an eight if I was invited. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the I, I would never begrudge a club wanting to communicate with its fans more, but the way they've gone about it is is just utterly perplexing. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's high up for sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, moving on. Um, this one, and I'm not sure who it's come from, so apologies. Do you think uh, Kamara, Loser, and Pedro are going to be here next season? I'd hope so. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Um, I mean, p- particularly Kamara and, and Loser, the way they've. Kamara's been a, a breath of fresh air on the left, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you do wonder. The club did look at him in the summer, and you know they did scouted him prior to that as well. You do wonder had they made that move instead of bringing in Danny Rose, which you know was uh, a complete disaster, wasn't it? The, then maybe things might not have, have deteriorated as as they did. Um, so you, you'd hope that he stays around. Loser, I think, has apart from with Watford fans, has maybe gone under the radar a bit. With 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 other people, so you'd hope that you know there's there's no tempting bids come in for him, and I, I think he's it's he's probably one that it's pretty safe to say might might be there next season. Um, Pedro has his admirers, doesn't he? I mean, when when Watford first signed him from Fluminense, there there were you know these stories of Liverpool trying to to hijack the the deal in, in Fluminense, trying to go back on it so they could maybe get more money elsewhere. So he he is someone who's known to other clubs, but whether they've seen enough from him this season to suggest that he is ready to to continue his development in the Premier League, you know, that's that's probably the question with him. But if if Watford can keep a hold of him, I think he could be huge in the in the championship next season, certainly. Yeah, very exciting. 
Lance Ralston asks, who would you want as new head coach next season? And who do you think we'll realistically get? Two different questions, I suppose. Who would I want? Um, Pep Guardiola. <laughs> I, I think it, it depends on... I mean, you can kind of ask that question. Well, we've kind of been asked, asked a similar question before, but the, the way we appoint managers is obviously so so hard to pin down in terms of who's likely. But if you had to kind of take a stab at who's likely and who um, who we can't be interested in uh, kind of from our perspective, I think we've discussed before Diego Martinez is someone that, that's been talked about um, kind of a former, former Granada coach. He's worked at Osasuna Sevilla. Um, and he, he's got lots of, lots of like. I think he, he'd bring a lot of the elements that we've been kind of missing and, and lacking from a certainly from an entertainment perspective but just the kind of the, the feel around the football club I think would be a little bit a little bit lighter with a younger manager coming in with some fresher ideas and, and a different way of playing I, I think it's something that would, that would suit uh, a lot of the players we have at the team right now um, the manner in which he, he, he deploys his teams I think is, is quite positive and, and as I said would suit uh, some of the talent we have so I think that'd be a good fit I mean someone that's still still in England obviously ties some kind of looser ties but some ties to to the pot so it's one that you could see definitely happening um and supposedly he's kind of still around around the area around the london area and someone that could that could potentially be be ready to come in um from the from the beginning of the season that's probably my my best bet there ryan yeah diego martin is not a bad shout at all and another manager i know they've looked at uh, in the past is uh, fabio cannavaro whether he'd be the right person for the championship but he's i think he's I think his daughter goes to school in London. I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I do think that's the case. And I know he's, um, or I'm, I'm led to believe that he is would be interested in a job in England, and that's sort of where he sees himself coming next. Uh, in terms of experience, you know, he's not got a. It's mainly been sort of China and, and Guangzhou Evergrande. Um, I actually I used to go and watch him there when I, I lived over in China for a while. I used to go and watch his team. Um, so he's he's someone who. I know the club have at least thought about before and you know I wouldn't be too surprised to see them make a move for him but whether that is one that would come off or not is you know but but as 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 is always the case it's 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 really hard to pin down who it'll be and it's it's likely someone who you know is is a name that we've we've not heard of before but as as Jordan said a, a younger coach I think would be good you know someone with the the spirit that Cisco Munoz brought something like that to to, to kind of give the place a lift, I think, would, would definitely be needed. Great shouts there. I'd, I'd love either of those two. Um, one of the last questions there, Matthew says, does the model of buying good talent cheap but injury-prone or temperamental work in the EPL? I'm not sure if he's specifically talking about a, a Watford player or not. Uh, I think I think the thing, I, I think what he's kind of, I know what he's kind of getting at. I think um, often we've, we've looked at players that have, have had some have been available for below their potential value in terms of, for example, Etienne Capoue. Um, it is one you can look at, kind of a low fee for a player that has kind of had a, a more negative spell in his most recent career move uh, and, and trying to find values in other ways. Maybe it'd be a veteran like Jose Holobas or those sorts of signings. And I think there is value to that. Um, I think maybe we've gone a little bit too far down down that avenue at times. Um, but, you know, it's, it's finding that balance, I think, with all things. And, and in terms of re- recruitment, you have to kind of find things that that really match club fit. And I think often we've we've gone a little bit too far into to being attracted to value over fit, um, which is, you know, it's, it's an easy temptation to fall into. Um, you see talent available, you want to bring it in, especially when it's at a, at a good price. But, you know, how much is how much are you saving when it doesn't really necessarily fit and, and kind of, 
blend in with what you're trying to create now because we've kind of been a very very mixed bag in terms of the, the direction we're taking the team in terms of the squad and the, the way the team's used um I, I guess that's maybe given us a little bit more freedom to to have a broader scope of players that we bring in but i think one thing going forward we have to do is kind of refine that process uh, in terms of playing style but also then trying to find that balance of players that fit uh, as well as have good value and sometimes if you have to pay a little bit more than you have to you have to try and find a way to do it if it means running a little bit thinner on your squad um, it might be more of a benefit than bringing in guys to contribute it in a team that doesn't necessarily suit them uh, as much as it as it much as it could good stuff and and Stuart basically asks where where would you start in the in the summer what would be your place he mentions the recruitment the debt uh Moji Bayat the academy CAS committee uh the retained squads um old age pensioners on multi-year contracts what 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 would, what would be your first place to start guys well yeah there's a lot there isn't there lots to unpack there isn't there um yeah I mean <laughs> Recruitment is something that they have to get right um, if, and, you know, now seems incredibly likely they do get relegated. That's the, that's, that's the big one. You, you have to make sure you get it right. Um, and as, as we saw last, last time they went down, you know, the, it doesn't necessarily have to be bang on because, you know, they brought in the likes of Glenn Murray and, and Stipe Peretzer and it, you know, they, they weren't by any stretch of the imagination, uh, players you describe as a successful transfer so you know you there is there is scope for for getting it wrong but you what you need to get right is the the idea and and the as as jordan was just saying uh you know you need to address the way that you want to approach the season and you need to get the right head coach and, and get the players that will work well within his style of play and and his identity and that's what they absolutely have to get right i think yeah here here Finally, then, Dorota recommends that we do a pod special about the boys returning from loans and uh, how they can impact our chances to compete in the championship next season. Uh, fantastic idea, Dorota. I think we'll definitely do something like that. And I'll just say, actually, now, um, how well Hungbo is doing with Ross County. Uh, he's having a great season there, isn't he? And I think he's got a decent chance of making a Watford championship side, actually. What do you reckon, guys? I think yeah. he could be a squad player. Yeah, I think he could be someone that's potentially involved. Um, I think you're also looking at the likes of uh, Zinkenegel, if we could bring him back. Obviously, he's enjoying his time at Forest. He might be inclined to to move on permanently. But, you know, the likes yeah. of Zinkenegel, Tom Delibashiru, um, who kind of restarted well at Reading. There are some players there that's definitely worth looking at, um, at how these guys can can help us. And even kind of maybe looking at the others coming in, like Aspria, for example, um, who we expect to see as well. There, there is there, there are some interesting uh, players that worth looking at and definitely some discussion points for for a future podcast, I'd say. Yeah, good stuff. Was there one more question, Matt? Sorry, I thought there was oh, one there, more Have question. I missed one? I missed one. Oh, um, tell me what was I think they might have commented on the retweet. Okay. Okay, this is from... I don't think we've asked this one. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is from Richard Steeden. Uh, he's asking if he can resubmit his questions from last time. How good will Chicho be in the championship? Is number one. I guess this is, let's just answer them one at a time. There's three questions here. We'll just answer them as we go along. Okay. Um, how good will Chicho be in the championship? I think he'll be useful for us. Um, we've seen, we've kind of talked about how he's a he, he's a versatile finisher. He's 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 agile. He's quick. Um, he gets into to good positions. He can harry. I think he's quite a well-rounded player I think he's useful for for various multiple managers managerial styles I think he'd, he'd fit in quite well um and with the likelihood of a couple going I think he'll definitely be uh, a contributor next season what, what about you guys yeah yeah I, I agree with that definitely um he's 
he's very useful and and yeah, I, I think he's you know he's got the the stature, hasn't he, to to, to I think do quite well in in the uh, in the the second tier. You know, we we saw um, uh, we saw Joe Pedro did did pretty well, didn't he, in his his first season in the championship? I think Cucho could adapt pretty similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, next is. Is Ismail Assar the worst value for money signing in the club's history? I can expand on my thinking if you like. I would be interested to hear uh, an expansion on that thinking. I don't think he's the worst by any means. No, I think if Nathan, you look at the Duke um, Ellington is yeah, the, yeah, the Duke was the Duke wasn't great. Um, yeah, but I think the thing with Saar, obviously we paid a lot of money for him, but I think you have to, there's a couple of things to consider. You, you brought him into a team which obviously was struggling um, and did face relegation. Uh, the following season, which is not ideal, of course. Um, but you have to, you really have to look at a resale. I think we're still, still come to be sell him for more than we paid for him, uh, which is instantly so? kind really? of what than what we paid for him. We paid, we paid what thirty million, I think, is what it was quoted. Potentially yeah, rising think... with the with with add-ons, which it seems like we have had to pay quite yeah, a lot of. I think with the fact that he has, I think selling him this summer, the fact that he still has a contract, I think you look at, he might not have had the best season for us, but I still think he's got a price tag um, over that. Okay, cool. If you consider age and international experience and, and the sorts of clubs that we're looking for that sort of player, I think I think you're still looking at looking at a fee that will kind of recoup your money. Um, and as well, I also think you have to look at the value that he provided last season, how much of an impact he played on promotion, how much promotion is worth. Even if this season is, is technically a, you know, a failure, it was definitely a financial win getting promoted and he played a massive part of that. So you take Sarah out of that team um, and we may not have done that. So I, I think from that perspective, you have, to, you have to look at it as a positive. He's not been around enough this season, uh, available enough to kind of really feel that we got our money's worth in a lot of ways this year, especially when the team around him has been quite poor as well. Uh, but I don't think he's the worst value for money. I think there are, there are ones that, are, that didn't work out a, a lot worse than uh, a lot worse than this matter. So. Yeah, well, I mean, at, at, the, at the time, Nathan Allington, who I think was... Was a pretty bad one. Um, well, at least Sars actually a good. At least Sars actually been good and productive yes. for large portions. Absolutely. Um, anything on that, Ryan? Oh, and Andre Gray, of course. How, how can we forget that? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean yeah, Andre, Andre was was the name I had uh, ready to go. Um, you look at people like Pusetto and and just in recent seasons alone. Yeah, Sar, not not for me at all. He's I think he's a very talented player and. The, the money that they make from selling him will will go a long way to to helping out next season if if he is to go in the summer which obviously we all expect him to to be yeah um and the final um <laughs> the final question is if we want to create an identity should we be investing in a category 1 academy to be part of that oh sorry should we invest in a category 1 academy be part of that i can understand why we haven't done that to be honest um I, I think that we're working in an area that is quite saturated in terms of, um, you know, trying to pick up people that we can add to our academy. Um, and I feel as though the investment wouldn't result in better players. But I don't, what, do, what do you think? Yeah, I just don't think it's worth it. Um, the, the, the likelihood of players coming through the academy into the first team is very slim uh, in terms of the, kind of the level we're operating at uh, as, a, as a first team. And 
a part of that is down to the fact that we see how the, 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 the sorts of contracts that players can sign at that age, they're not tied to a club particularly um, for very long periods of time. So it's very easy for, for the bigger clubs to yeah. snatch up the real talent. And that's what happens. We've seen it countless times. So investing too much into that is um, unfortunately as, as nice as it is to kind of produce these young players and ha- kind of have that feeder kind of going into that first team. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely idea and it's kind of a, rom- a romantic idea, I think. But I, unfortunately, it's, it's slightly... It's dying off and it's very difficult for us to do. And there's, there's a reason why we don't do it and many clubs around us don't do it. Um, even the clubs that are kind of in a similar position that have had some success doing that have worked up a similar model of snatching up talent from, from academies of, of teams smaller than them uh, and then hoping they kind of get through and, and relying on giving them the opportunity. But it's, uh, it's not an area I think is particularly viable at this point. Um, and if you were to go down that route, you'd have to be investing pretty heavily in that uh, and kind of accepting a kind of loss in returns for a little while, I think, before you saw much benefit, if at all. Yeah, Ryan, an opinion on that? Yeah, I agree. It would it would take a long time before you start to, to really reap the rewards from that. And what Watford have been good at and what they, they can still be good at is is having this, this scouting network to rely on to, to bring the, the younger players through in, instead of, you know, as, as Jordan put it, uh, getting involved in what is a very saturated area, and you know where where Watford are, there's you know the likes of of, of you know, plenty Premier League clubs to provide competition. There's also plenty Championship clubs to provide competition. It is a very saturated area, and it 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 would be very difficult for for them to to see any success from that uh, anytime soon. It just it would be lovely to have, but but definitely not something that they should be making a priority, particularly at this moment in time. Good stuff. Well, uh, my thanks to uh, everyone for, for, for talking about the Watford situation uh, this afternoon and uh, answering your questions. Thanks to Ryan Gray for joining us. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, Ryan. Yeah, pleasure as always. Nice to... to thanks, thanks and Andy, as well, for getting chest. here as well. <laughs> yeah, James, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks, James made some good contributions as well. <laughs> Okay, uh, next up, it's David Anderson from At B's Tactical to discuss Brentford in Watford's next home fixture. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, and I'm now delighted to be joined by David Anderson from At Bees Tactical uh, to discuss Brentford and uh, Watford's upcoming game against Brentford. Welcome, David. How are you doing? Hello, Matt. Hiya. I'm good. Yeah, probably better than you. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really good, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have a little break and chat about football for a bit. Um, we just chatted before about like weddings and stuff and mine coming up. And it's, yeah, it's good to sort of bask in the glory of Brentford and maybe not too much, but bask in the misery of Watford for a little bit. But I'll try and be positive for you. <laughs> well, if you, if you bask too much in it, then we'll, we'll kick you out. Um, <laughs> so actually, I suppose we should start with, with, uh, with Brentford season as a whole then. How, how's, it, uh, how's it gone for you, your first time in the Premier League? Well, as a whole, I, yeah, I think if you're looking at it as a whole, I don't think it could have gone any better, really. Um, there's been a few hairy moments where you're looking around and I think the fan base are looking around and thinking, gosh, we've got a lot of players. I, I think e- each player's had this moment where the fans have looked at them and think, gosh, they don't belong up here. But it's kind of been a blip rather than something long term throughout the season. But as a whole, I, I think we've done really well. Um we started well, um, probably surprisingly well, and looked like one of the best teams in the league for like the first six games. Second six games, there's a little tailing off and levelling off with results and a couple of like last minute defeats. And but then we picked up again and we picked up a few defeat, uh, a few wins ourselves. And yeah, I think midway through, as we got through that winter point, that that's when the injury started and then COVID started hitting and. You saw, like, actually, if this squad can't take much more of this, it was a depleted squad. But we fought back and got a few players back and slowly got them back to fitness. Then we had a really bad run where we lost, like, six out of seven games and everyone thought we were going down. But the work we'd done in the beginning of the season held us in good stead. And even though we'd lost so many games, we actually didn't really lose too much ground from the teams below. And then Tony found a little bit of form. And then, then really, we signed Ericsson and Ericsson came in and we haven't really looked back since. So... Other than that sort of middle chunk where we did have in quick succession a few miserable results and we didn't think there was, you, you, when you when you have so many, you're kind of thinking there's no way out of this, but there often is. And yeah, since Ericsson's joined, we've really, we've turned into a different team and 
probably if we level it all off we probably are probably the 15th best team in the league and i think we're going to finish around there i'd say how surreal is it to to be watching your team and and seeing such a superstar like christian eriksen being part of it yeah very surreal surreal is the right word i mean it's it's just him as a as a story obviously everyone's well aware but for for me i'm I'm not. I don't really get caught up in the sort of the fandomness of this. I'm a bit more of a realist, and I I was actually worried. I was thinking, gosh, what what if something bad happens in a Brentford shirt? Um, it, it could go horribly wrong, and it could be a gamble that uh, doesn't pay off for us. But I think you just have to trust the club and how intelligent they are at, at making these these calculations with players. And him coming in has. I I don't think I've. He's definitely the best player to ever ever like graced a Brentfordshire by a million miles that's the first thing I'd say the second thing is he's just surprised me in so many ways he hasn't played many many games but if you watching him in detail he is a really like top class player and I think if such a tragic thing hadn't happened to him he would have just gone straight back into a a much better team but a couple of his characteristics will just surprise you how fast he is if, even on such a long breakout of the game, he's he's absolutely rapid. He's one of our quickest players, and he, you wouldn't even think of him as a fast player. Um, his fitness levels, um, his technical ability, like short game, long game, um, just holding off Chelsea is going to live long in the memory. We've recently beat Chelsea four yeah, um, one, but him game. in the midfield against Kante and some of the others, and Kante couldn't get near him at times. This is a really top top class player, and. He, uh, if if we have him there for any longer than this season, we've been very very lucky. But I, I think he has bigger plans. Unless we, unless we can convince him that we can turn into a team that could maybe challenge for those edge of Europe spots, I I think there's going to be bigger and better clubs and um, larger sums of money coming his way. But yeah, a, a truly amazing player, and he's just given us that lift we needed just to see us over the line. I think, um, yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's an, it's a, it improved the Danish link as well that you've got there. Yeah, we are Denmark FC. I think um, <laughs> Thomas Frank's uh, got the band back together. I think he's, I think he's influential in the in the Danish scene. Um, he he's worked at the youth levels. He's seen a couple of these players come up through the ranks, and he's worked with them at younger ages. Uh, Denmark is a much smaller population, so especially in the football, if you think how tight the it's tight in England, like a lot of football people know each other. If you think about, it, you minimise that again to a population as small as Denmark. It doesn't take much to to gain a reputation or lose one. And um, he, I think he's he's probably not... He, he's been a popular guy. Then I think he's been a bit of a laughing stock in Denmark. But I think he's turned back into a sort of popular guy again. But those um, those links, it's, it's done really well for us. We've had Scandinavian links way before Thomas Frank, though. So it's it's not mm. just him. But I think they've been strengthened and we, we've just benefited hugely. And if you look at the midfield for Denmark, so Christian Eriksen and Christian Norgard, are um, playing together for Brentford. They play together for the national team as well now. And those kinds of link-ups, those are invaluable. That's another part of recruitment where we've done really well. There's been a few players over the years that we've bought. You get a couple of players from a team or you get players that have played together or played, um, have links with other players and bring that into your squad. That, that, um, that chemistry, that knowledge that they have together of each other's game is, is um, invaluable as well. So, yeah, the Denmark League's been brilliant. Um We've really benefited from it. And yeah, Ericsson is just the cherry on top of that. Have you seen your Scandinavian fan base in, in increasing because of all the links? Yeah, yeah. So it has done over the years. Um, I think um, 
I myself, yeah. So I was part of the, just until this year, the Bees United, so the Supporters Trust. I, was, I sat on the board of that. And um, there's all, there's always Scandinavians, um, people from Denmark, um, the rest of Scandinavia, messaging saying, yeah, we'd love to talk to more Brentford fans in England. They come over to Brentford matches. There was a period where it was really noticeable at Griffin Park where um, Scandinavian fans were in their numbers coming over to sort of Tuesday night games, Saturday lunchtimes in big packs of and um yeah, the, the fan base was growing and those numbers are huge and uh, there is real interest and yeah, yeah it, it's just grown and grown. And I think someone like Pontus Janssen has added to that as well, just a different part. Um, but yeah, the the Denmark link's huge and I think it's just going to get stronger and stronger the longer we're in the Premier League too, as more exposure um, increases. Yeah, there's a massive love in Scandinavia for, for the Premier League. I know that uh, clubs like Liverpool have got some surprisingly large amounts of fans that come across from from Norway quite quite regularly mm. and you just you sort of have to take a step back and think wow they're really traveling on a plane like to come over it's like it's not just um you know a three o'clock kickoff for them it's a it's a whole day event maybe even a, like a weekend yeah. event really because they're, they're coming over here they're probably going to be here Friday night Saturday taking a bit of Sunday and then and then going home I mean it's like a it's a whole event for them, isn't it? It's, uh, it sure yeah. is. And I don't want to be cliche and say, saying the Scandinavians like a drink, but I think they see it as a challenge to like, <laughs> how much can we drink across an entire weekend whilst watching football. And um, they they make a weekend of it. But it, if you if you just look back, I, forgive me if I've got this wrong, but I think John Arlerisha was Norwegian, wasn't he? John Arlerisha, do you remember that left foot? Yeah, yeah. Liverpool? You know what, I'm going to so say it's yes. these. These early Premier League players, those sort of dotted Scandinavians around, like around the Premier League, that they stick with the fan base and they they watch it from afar. And as I mean, obviously, as as plane travel gets cheaper and it gets uh, more easy and accessible for just more people, you can see why. If if they can, let's get over to England and watch this football. It's obviously a much higher league, high standard of league than they they get in their own country. And yeah, they're they're travelling in their droves, and yeah, long may it continue. I can confirm he was Norwegian, 110 caps for the national team, 16 oh, go. goals. Good good, <laughs> good recollection. How old do you reckon he is now? Gosh, uh, he's got to be 42. Oh, that's close. 41. Oh, Not bad. There we go. Not bad. Nearly there, nearly. Only retired in 2017 as well. Decent career. Yeah, he probably went. He probably like got so used to the Premier League, he's really trotted back to Scandinavia and sort of seen, out, uh, seen out some years out there in like, the lower leagues and just... His brain and um, his his um, abilities just got him through matches. Maybe not his fitness and uh, ability to get up and down that left wing. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? What for another couple of uh, Scandinavians on their books? Pontus Dahlberg, um, Ken Semmer, more notably. He hasn't played much this season. So, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot, a bit of talent out there. Yeah, there is. Ken Semmer might link into some of my angles on why your season's gone downhill Ooh, without okay. being too harsh. But yeah. I, Ken well, Summers, um Well let's move into uh, that uh swiftly yeah. then if you've got that on the brain. What what what's been what's been up wrong for you uh, at Watford this season? Yeah, without um sort of kicking you guys when you're down, I think <laughs> you just made a few <laughs> there's just been a few decisions which I, I think on the whole they, they didn't look like good decisions when they were being made and I, they've just turned out to be not great decisions. I, I think Ken Simmer for one, I you watched him in the championship, I don't think he was I wouldn't say he was tearing up the championship, and immediately, like that's to me is saying if you're not if you're not doing well at that level, there's no reason why you're going to be banging on the door to be playing week in week out in the Premier League. But uh, yeah, he seemed. I think the intensity of what was going on in the championship was just a bit too much for him at times. I think he was off the pace. I think he was out of position. I didn't know if he was coming in from the right or playing left wing. 
didn't look great and you sort of carry that player up into the Premier League when really you should just be cutting your losses at that point. Um, he just adds to like a bloated squad and I don't know what age group, I don't know what age Ken Semmer is, but I, I don't think there's much more space for improvement there. I think he just clearly seems like a player on, on the down and, and I think you just got caught with too many of those type of players and the ones that are are, are coming for you, like your forwards, the Pedros, Sars, um, there's not enough with them to just make up for the players that are probably either levelling off or dropping away. And you probably are, as I was saying about Brentford being maybe the 14th, 15th, 16th best team. I think you probably are one of the, as a team, probably one of the weaker two and maybe three at a push. And you're probably just going to finish there. That's that's just the reality of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, he's towards his, his late 20s, I think. Uh, mm. He hasn't featured a lot for a season, but you're right, he's part of a, a squad that... Um, probably at times has felt like a, you know there are, there are a few players there that were never really going to make much of an impact in the Premier League because they weren't really championship quality. I can name a few. Um, Adam Massena. Um, you know, I, I mean, Craig Cathcart gets a, a bad rap, but I, I don't feel as though he's really Premier League quality. Um, mm. You could probably say that about a few of our defenders. Um, was Tom yeah. Cleverley really up to... The Premier League week again. Out. I mean... Yeah, you're, he's another one. I think off the ball, possibly, like if you've got another couple of good players beside him. But again, Sissoko, Danny Rose, you, your instinct is these are good ideas. But I think you really think about them. They're probably not because have those players maxed out and hit where they that level they need to be? Are you clutching at shores hoping that they can hit a level they've shown in the past when really they're probably on the down now. So you're you're needing them to to dig you out of an area or bring you up to a level when really they're moving the other way. I, I think you looking at the squad, I, I mean, your average age of squad, I think it's the second oldest in the league. It's either second or third. I think you've got one of the oldest teams. So with that already, you're not, you're not instinctively thinking, oh God, I've got a load of, I've got 10 players who are going to actually be getting better. Whereas if you think about Brentford, we, we instead we do, we have one of the younger teams and a lot of our players are still improving. So they're going to improve throughout the season. And, you kind of get that crescendo at the right times. And then you add in someone like Christian Eriksen for these young, improving players to just bounce off. And you find yourself uh, closer to Brighton, Aston Villa, Southampton than the teams at the bottom. And I think we've just benefited from a little bit better foresight, whereas you kind of have been blinded by some of those old Premier League players who, not that they're looking for paydays. I think that's just, that's a bit of a lazy assessment, but they're kind of the pickups that are just, dotted in front of you and you have to resist those you can't be you can't be just grabbing those because there's a reason why they're being let go and especially at the level they are being let go from and who knows if if they're not good enough for that level what what level should they be playing at is it just that they've been in such good teams that's why they're up there you take them out of that unit and all of a sudden they kind of can look very ordinary and i think that's what's happened a little bit with sissoko as well yeah i i I appreciate that that opinion um i think the sissoko one worked out better than the Danny Rose well I don't even think I know, uh, yeah, I know, yeah, definitely. I, know that, I agree that definitely did was Danny Rose worth a punt I suppose given his age and the football that he's played previously um, perhaps it was but it very quickly showed that, that um, you know that a mistake had been made there and I think you know I'm talking about that as a punt as a as a fan with not really a lot of um, knowledge of you know how he's been playing um you know, behind closed doors for Tottenham for a season, um, not featuring. I mean, more scouting or research could have been done into that 
before the decision was taken and, and clearly there um you know that, that, that either wasn't done or it wasn't done well because he, he wasn't able to perform anywhere near um how well we'd, we'd we'd have hoped him to have been at so you know that ultimately was a mistake i, I think Sissoko has proved to be you know a, a decent signing this this season um but yeah it's not the sort of the young exuberant uh on the up talent that that we kind of were hoping for it's, it's more of the sort of like best years behind him on the slow decline player that uh that maybe we didn't need mm. but i think you can carry a couple of those like you can get away with a few and there's obviously a role for them um and, and as long as you keep them in their box you're not asking them to do too many things um but i think if you have a cleverly sissoko possibly kutcher as well just all kind of getting those minutes yeah. and you might be that's probably more of an explanation of why you finished where you have than yeah than probably anything else like someone like craig kafka i think you know his level but what's going on in front of him how competitive is the midfield are they creating enough for you are they are they good enough when they're going to get moments like on the edge of the box because your forwards obviously can't be relied on for everything you need some goals from midfield but yeah without meaning to sort of, as i said kick you when you're down i think another thing was the ranieri appointment as well i think if you if you I, I thought that was a terrible decision at the time. I think I, I wonder if we spoke about it. I probably did say I wasn't sure about it. If someone wants to go back and listen when I did speak <laughs> to you, it it didn't look good to me. It was a, I thought it was a terrible appointment, especially looking off the back of what he'd done in his last few tenures. Um, it just wasn't a good move, and I, I think you needed something else. You needed you needed someone younger. You needed someone who was going to elevate you, not 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 kind of just sort of steady it i think you may as well have gone i don't know if roy was available at that point but maybe he was the move at that time or, or someone else but yeah i think probably it may be a similar type of thing but yeah there's other coaches there's other ways you could have gone and maybe it was um uh symptomatic of like the ownership and the familiarity with ranieri and knowing him that if he's available are you going to get a better coach well they probably thought they weren't um, similar with Danny Rose I think if he's dangled in front of you you think oh wow yeah this left back who's got all these minutes in the Premier League he's played at a really high level I think he played in the Champions League final as well but how good is he compared to that now and the same with Ranieri like what, what level is Ranieri compared to some of these coaches we're seeing today don't think he's in the top percentiles mm. as, as an outsider looking in um, at Watford having you know another crack at the Premier League do you feel as though we have shown any improvement from the last time that we were in the Premier League or, or have we um, pretty much made the same mistakes over again? Uh, oh, that's interesting. I, probably. I, I, think, I guess you were in the Premier League for a while, weren't you? You didn't come straight back down last time. I'm just trying to think of the time spans. A lot's happened in the last few years. No, no, we, 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 we were up there for three or yeah, four, you had like four or five. Yeah, you did have a while. I think... Yeah, I mean, you've your model hasn't particularly changed. You're you're not afraid to fire a manager and get someone else in. You look for those cycles of one year, two year max, and there's a lot of churn in that manager, which I don't think is a huge issue. I think it's more um, the recruitment side of it and what's going on in the pitch. So I think you're okay to keep firing these managers, but if you if you're making mistakes on the pitch and you're just getting worse and worse and worse, and you can avoid relegation being one of the weaker teams, but you're just sort of hovering above and sooner or later it's going to catch up on you but no I think what you've done this year I think you've been unlucky with a couple of injuries I think Saar missed out quite a bit of football hasn't he, he and has, then yeah. 
the African nations, and that that's another thing as well. Like, which you 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 have to account for this stuff. Like, which players are going to be leaving you? Like, are they really important at a pivotal time when the Christmas period or just after you're playing so many games? Um, you lost a couple to that tournament. Um, I think Sars like your best player, and he was injured as well. There's just um, from a top-down part. There's just a few strategic things which, if I was anywhere near decision making, I just would never have done. And I think a few other people have thought like that as well. And maybe it's come home to roost a little bit. But the Premier League is hard. Let's just not forget that. I think that it's quite easy to say, "Oh, we should be finishing here." A lot of the games you're coming into them against much better opposition with better players. How can you narrow that? How can you narrow that? And it's, there's a lot of talk about the underdog stuff. We we just see Norwich yo-yoing back and forth. Like they just still haven't developed a way to play as the underdog. They're, they're, they're so used to being so dominant in their championship and they just win week after week after week. But conversely to Brentford, we, we kind of developed a system that allowed us to play as the best team and the underdog at the same time. We're, we're kind of more comfortable in that. So we developed a system that allows us to level off the game against Chelsea, Man United, Man City, just stay in the game. But then you take that against the teams like Watford and and maybe your Aston Villas and your Southamptons. We can edge those games because we're defensively against the stronger teams. And that's where I think we've done well. But yeah, I don't think you've done well defensively. I think um, there's a bit of a myth that you've been defensively. I'm not sure you have. I think there's a lot of errors in your team. I think, um, yeah, that that's probably an area that you lost sight of and didn't really just invest in the right quality to see you through. That's another area, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, valid point, valid point. What do you think we'll expect this Saturday then? What, sh- what should we expect uh, from, from, from Brentford? Yes, it's hard actually, because for us, um, it might, it, interesting, we've spoken about Ericsson. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ericsson actually got a rest for this game. <laughs> he didn't. They didn't actually play him and Matthias Jensen started instead. Um, it's, I think every, you you guys, if any, if there's any sense across the squad of like we, this is done now, we can't catch this up or we can't make this. Those sorts of players won't play. So you you still have to go. I mean, you could beat Brentford. There's there's no um, uh, it's not like saying we're much better than you. We're guaranteed a win. No, this is a game you should be thinking. This is a team we're closer to strength wise. Um, we need to go out and try and get these three points. And for us, it it might be an opportunity that we can play some of our slightly weaker players, like not the top, top level of team. So because we know that maybe this is a weaker team in the league. So I don't, I don't know. We, we've done a lot now. I think it would be huge for us to get relegated. It, it, the odds are just so low now for that to happen. So I don't know. There, there could be some points here for you. I, I don't think it would be the end of the world for us. It, it might keep your season alive and give you that little bit of hope. Um, Everton have won just recently without time stamping this and it's it's made it really difficult for you guys to see a way out but until it's until it's mathematically impossible you've just got to keep going and thinking there is a way to to get through so yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised to see you guys pick up three points against us no not at all you're not uh thinking the players are on the beach yet then no I, I don't think so I think the only teams that would be thinking like that are Aston Villa and Southampton. Like those teams just seem to; those are the teams that I think can think like that. I don't think anyone else really does. Um, there's too much at stake. Uh, no, no, no. There's no beach. There's no beach town. If there were, they just. I don't think they'd be playing. They wouldn't be selected. If there, if there, <laughs> if, if there was, it would, be, it would be it would be a beach in Denmark somewhere. If that, if that exists, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably those... not really a beach. It's more like a harbour. 
Yeah, one of those cold Norwegian islands um, <laughs> up there. Yeah, so they want to get back onto the football pitch as quick as possible. But yeah. um, no, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think more, more what that saying means for like sort of us and other teams is that a second string might play when we kind of don't need to put out our best best team, and that some of those players who've got us to where we are might start from the bench. That's all that might happen. I think. What's Brentford's away form been like this season? Um, it's been it's been mixed. Um, there's been some like big away victories, and I think that's that's why we're so far ahead of you. I think we've had games where our systems allowed us to. So we drew three all with Liverpool. We scored a last minute winner against West Ham. Um, we've done pretty well against Wolves. Uh, I mean, you you, you, you was away at Chelsea. I mean, that was obviously yeah, Chelsea was. Yeah, I don't want to be so like just bring a load of recency bias into this, but Chelsea is being talked about as one of Brentford's greatest ever victories. Um, there was a four-one against Fulham many years ago when we um, came back into the Championship for the first time and absolutely destroyed them at um, Craven Cottage. But the whipping we gave Chelsea a few weeks ago was uh, that that was a coming of age of some of these players, and Ericsson again was at the heart of it. But yeah, I I, th- I think. A big difference between the two teams is we've obviously had this this three five two system, which just allows you to sit off the ball and be a little bit more solid and stay in games. I think you've you've just been religiously four three three, four two three one all through the season, and you're just a bit more of an open team. Whereas we've we've had a bit been a bit more solid, and we can go away and yeah, just trying to look at some other big victories we had away. Um, Norwich. Yeah, we did we go away and beat Norwich three one, I think. Yes, yeah, sorry, 3-1 against Norwich. Yeah, the last few months have been a bit of a blur. But yeah, that was another big victory against Norwich. I think we we always knew we were a much better team than them. Um, yeah, Chelsea's just sticking in the mind. But yeah, there's been these there's been these away victories dotted throughout the season. Um, yeah, a 2-2 draw with Leeds, like that's supposed to be a formidable place. We drew 3 with Newcastle. Um, got a bit unlucky uh, in a couple of games, but... Yeah, I, I think our away form has been good, and is that is that something that's concerned you this year? Is that why you've picked it up? Or? No, our away form has been has been fantastic, but uh, our home form is awful. So I was hoping that your away form was was <laughs> awful, so that uh, we'd have at least a, an even contest. But um, yeah, we're we're pretty shocking at home, so you, you, should, you should you should you should come feeling uh, relatively assured. Mm, yeah, I, I think. Unluckily for you, we've developed a system that just takes us home and away, and it tweaking it between the two is is very subtle. We we just have maybe just how quickly we get the ball forward and just different effort energy levels, but home and away is quite subtle for us. I don't think there's too many differences between the two. And now that we have Ericsson on the break away from home, um, we are ruthless. Uh, one of his goal, his, well, his goal against Chelsea was just incredible. The pace that he got into the box and just scored a tap in right in front of goal. On the counter attack, with us pressing and winning the ball back in our own half, we we're a dangerous team. So, yeah, home or away, Brentford in the Premier League are here to stay. <laughs> Last time these two played, I was uh, I was at Brentford actually, enjoying the uh, the the new stadium and and taking it all in. It was um it was it was a hard one actually as a, as a Watford fan because we were we 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 took the lead early on through Dennis. Um, I think it was a header, I remember. And then um It was an incredible header. Yeah. And then Brentford um nicked one towards the end and I thought, oh well, you know, they've 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 deserved the draw. And then right at the at the death, an Embuemo penalty and oh, it was it was it's always hard to take those ones. Um but I, I remember you did quite a, a bit um of um 
analysing after that game, and you highlighted a bit about uh, Tom Cleverley and his um, play. Do you remember that you did that video? Yeah, I was I was going to speak about that actually because I think that's in a microcosm, like um, maybe maybe partly what's gone wrong and right for the two teams. So I was speaking about Ranieri, and I think in that game, if you the game was even, it was really really tight. I think Dennis's goal, that spring and that leap, that header was incredible, and we were on the ropes at times. And I think you wrestled the game away from us, and then we kind of got back into it and the midfield battle was tight it was even it was hard for any team to make any big moments or or any huge chances and yeah you're right we got back into the game late but Ranieri just made made this sub and it was um it was cleverly for Pedro and I was just thinking at the time I was like I can't believe he's done that this is brilliant for us and for a Watford perspective like from a game theory perspective the idea about that is you're bringing on attacking a, a more attacking player for a defensive player and you're trying to assert yourself onto the game but the game was so tight I, I don't think it was the right move at that time what you probably needed to do was just change shape maybe to a 3-5-2 just get two four players central or something like that but he went for that bold move and you had a big chance with Josh King but the reliance on Josh King to score you a lot of goals is just it, it was a lot um but Cleverly was one of your best players on that, and he was nullifying us in midfield. And he, the second you take away a player like that, you just all, all of a sudden give the impetus and the momentum to the other team, and we just got better and better. And in the end, we kept getting the ball into the box, and it was um, Sam and Godos um, dummy. I think it was true. Someone went to ground. I can't remember who it was, but he just drew in a tackle, and yeah, um, I think it, it was. Kong. I think so. I think yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was just an awful challenge going down, but. We we obviously scored a last minute penalty, and you're thinking, oh wow, they've won by a penalty. But the pressure was building, and we mm. kept getting kept. It was just too easy for us to get into your box because you gave up that midfield territory. Really, you were doing that just to create one chance yourself. Like I think that's all you got out of the the sub. You got one good. It was a very good. It was a good chance. It was a good move. But that sub from Ranieri, I I didn't like it. I on paper, it's kind of the sub you should make when the game's tight. You're away from home. You're trying to roll the dice and go for it, but for how for how much hard you had to work to keep Brentford at the level we were at as in an even as an even team an even match it, it wasn't it wasn't the right move and it cost you in the end and yeah it's those kinds of things I think it was more the change of shape of the team that he needed to make rather than this big bold sub and yeah that, that analysis on Cleverly he Cleverly was everywhere and he was he was causing us issues and it, his pressing was great defensively from throw-ins he was just playing really well and you take him out of the team and you just basically opened it up and in really, I think you got what you deserved. Mm. It's not the sort of change that I think Hodgson would make, but I think Hodgson brings his own problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what, um, what, how would you how would you rate him, and <laughs> what, what sort of tactical style do you think he would? He, he is compared to that of Ranieri. I, I think Ranieri is slightly bolder, but I, I think um, Hodgson is uh, is much more of a drilled, um, maybe defensive first coach where. You, you can see the rigidity he's trying to develop, but that's all very well. If you haven't got players that are good enough to sort of see that out, then it's just also worthless as well. So he he is a more disciplined coach, and I don't think he'd gamble as much in matches, but he'd probably see you nil-nil for longer or one-nil for longer, and then all of a sudden you've got a chance to go back in the game. Ranieri, I don't know. I think if you were going to go for Ranieri, I think you should have probably just gone for Hodgson much earlier. As I said earlier, I don't know if he was available, but but... There's not much difference between the two, and they're both bad in their own similar ways, aren't they? Like Ranieri's probably a little bit kind of caught behind the times and not quite as 
sort of you think of him as trying to be move into a bit of being a bit of an attacking coach, but really he's just defensively bad and Hodgson defensive coach, but not quite got the players to sort of see out what he wants to see out and lacks on the attacking because you're focusing on the defense. It, it's just muddled, isn't it? And there's it, it's not gonna. I don't think it's conducive for seeing you avoiding relegation. That's what I think you need to do. You need to be a bit better and going forwards. And um, yeah, just maybe better players as well. But yeah, I, I don't think it's just down to the managers. No, there's a bit more to it. I don't think they've helped. But yeah, there's probably a little bit more to it than that. So give us a bit of hope then, David. Um, what are Brentford's weaknesses and, and what should Watford's best approach be to try and exploit those, if they even exist? Ooh, Brentford's weaknesses. I think... It sounds cocky, but we we don't have any clear, clear weaknesses. We're not a team that are like that player is easily got at. I mean, our weakness, our, our main one is Sergi Carlos down the right-hand side. He's played as a right wing-back. It's not his natural position. Um, there's space in behind him, so whoever plays uh, left wing, if they can get behind that area and then pull Ayer out to the wide areas and just get a little bit of confusion around there, then trying to drag Sergi back. He isn't the best defender. He can get cut out and um, lapses of concentration as a right wing back. And if you hit that space, you can get forward in that area. Another area where Brentford are probably, and Ericsson has helped us out here, but without Ericsson, we're quite a slow team. We're not very, we aren't very quick. I I think with Brian and Bemo, he's he's a good dribbler, but I don't think he's electric. Um, Tony's not very quick. He's quite a slow player. Rico Henry is one of our faster players, but a few of our midfielders aren't very quick. And I think if you if you can dribble, they don't really like to be dribbled past and turn the other way. So if you can, someone like Sissoko or, or Cleverly, just gamble and drop a shoulder and just try and break past a few players, you might find yourself some joy. But um, no, there's, there's not huge weaknesses. I think, I, I don't think you're a, I don't think you possess enough of the tools that are going to hurt us, like as in being able to keep the ball for sort of, really long passing patterns then drag us out of our shape and then hurt us I think that's that's left for the teams like Man City and Liverpool those elite teams so I think in terms of keeping possession it'll be far too even and we should be able to get the upper hand so unfortunately for you I think you need a really good game from whoever plays on left wing uh, for cutting in and trying to good crosses or you need us to have a real off day and um as I said, not play Ericsson and maybe a Jensen in there. You should get a bit of the upper hand physically if he's playing. But yeah, you're going to need um, you're going to need some of us to be well, those beach players to be um, on the bench. That's what I think you mean. <laughs> Fingers crossed that they uh, they get the beach ball out then. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose con- conversely uh, or contrastingly, what uh, should Watford be looking out for? Like you know, I mean, you've, you've mentioned a couple of, of big names there in. In Buemo and and Ericsson and Tony, but what 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 is Brentford's classic uh, attacking style at the minute? How 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 are they getting most of their goals? Uh, I think in the last, yeah, it's it's really hard to think about how we played before Eric, but before he did come, we were we were sort of the set piece darlings. So our corners are really important and quite interesting. Well, some of them go near post and we'll try and flick that ball onto the back post and someone will be coming in on that second phase and just getting a clean strike at goal. That catches a lot of teams out. Um, sometimes we can do a floated one to the back post and then that header's pumped back across the goal. Our, cor- our set-piece corners are dangerous and I think you're the type of team that are, that are going to be susceptible to this. I don't think you've got commanding 
defensive players in the air and I think you can be dragged around in these situations so watch out for set pieces um now that we do have Ericsson as well I, I can't not talk about it because he probably is going to play some part but our short passing around the edge of the box has just gone up to another level which I, I don't mm. think you'll be able to contain um Chelsea were if I mean if these were if these were scored by Man City players you know I've got a couple uh our um, young 20 I think he's 22 now he's a huge guy but now that Ericsson's here, sometimes Ericsson's a little bit deeper and Yanel's just been given the license to get forward and break into the box. And he's got a lovely left foot, just a drilled strike. Or oh, he can be delicate and finish that way. So he's very talented. Um, but yeah, getting on the end of a sort of third man run. So Ericsson will play a little pass to Tony. Tony will play a pass to Yanel, who's just run off that move. And it's it's a lot to keep hold of. And I, I think um, you guys playing a back four, you to play a back four at this level, you need to be in sync and... I'm just not sure that it's the best way to approach like sort of fluid attacking teams, and you could find yourself being pulled apart uh, at the back, and and us hitting you, hitting you either on the break or or building up in um, good possession from midfield as well. So yeah, I I, I, I said that uh, you guys, um, you you might catch it's a big game for you, and you might have a bit more on it than us, but. I think the quality of us is probably just at that level closer to, as you, you've just been beaten heavily by Leeds, but we're probably just a bit closer to Leeds than you. And if you're not on your, if you're not on your A game, it could, it could be um, pretty damaging for you. Okay. Well, fingers crossed both teams uh, put on a good show, but uh, from a Watford perspective, I hope we just shade it just to keep things <laughs> a bit interesting, even though I think, 95% of Watford fans probably know that uh, our fate is going to be playing in the championship. But there's nothing bad about that. We enjoy the championship. The championship is a great division. Um, <laughs> it is. Yeah, I mean, if you do go down, it'd be quite sad, Matt, because uh, we've had a couple of years sort of tracking each other in uh, the championship and the Premier League. And it'd be sad not to chat to you, yourself, Jordan, and um, yeah, you guys. So We can wave at yeah. each other. Yeah, from a distance. From our high tower, but yeah, I'm sure we'll meet again. You've got some Watford friends as well, haven't you? Uh, I have, yeah, yeah. A really good friend of mine's uh, a Watford fan. He is, he's quite, I think he's quite downbeat about it as well. I think he just was, he's again another realist, just knows there's this quality deficit that you have against other teams, and it's probably inevitable. But I don't know, it's hard, isn't it? There's green shoots, but there's just, there is just misery at the same time, isn't there? So you don't know where to position yourself, but yeah. I wouldn't want no to way. go through this again. I wouldn't want to stay up by the skin of our teeth and, and have no changes made. Uh, there'd have to be changes no matter what. And I think it's probably easier for those to come in the championship and, and for us to look to rebuild again. But that is... Uh, that takes yeah. guts there, doesn't it? Like, it's easier to retain those players that have done it before and just try and see if they can do it again. And then, yeah, you're right. I think the moves have to be made in the championship. But you just don't know. I mean, we're talking like you're down. It's not absolutely done yet but yeah I think you need you need to get a younger hungrier coach probably and just try and build something I think and something that is sustainable at a high level as well so we'll see good stuff well um we'll be looking forward to it uh will you be able to join us or for the for the the post-game pod to, to to go through it with us whatever the result is yeah yeah I should be able to yeah looking forward to it yeah good stuff that'll be great then well thanks for joining us uh, in this bumper edition of the Watford Buzz podcast um Special thanks to David, who will be, like I said, joining us in the next one and uh, dissecting the results. Hopefully, uh, a Watford win, but who knows? It could be uh, a complete 
a complete route from Brentford, uh, maybe five. I mean, at, at this rate, I don't know. I've got no idea. Um, but it'll be nice to see Ericsson playing again. I think that'll be that'll be a, a special one for, for myself. Uh, and I'll be in the ground to see that one. Uh, I'll finish on um, a great tweet that I saw earlier from uh, at Lou Orns. Uh, he says, uh, there's a Watford nutmeg update. Uh, Watford have completed a record 10 nutmegs in one game versus the Leeds fixture, which means we've moved on to 58 nutmegs for the season, only four behind PSG's record with seven games to go. So uh, that's not wow. a bad stat, is it? That's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. If only nutmegs kept you up. That's what uh, <laughs> if that's only nutmegs over. kept us up, then we'd be, we'd be uh, battling be Man Champions City League. and Liverpool for the Premier League title. So, yeah. <laughs> no, you, you need a good nutmeg. You do. I mean, they're great to watch, joy. aren't they? I love watching nutmegs. Yeah, yeah. Luan's good as well. He's got a good eye for stuff, and he, he's quite impressive. I'll, I'll keep an eye on his stuff if you do go down into the championship because he's good fun. Yeah, he, he loves the stat, doesn't he? All right, then. Well, thanks to David. Thanks again earlier to Ryan for joining us in the show, and also Jordan, who's always good crack. We'll be back again after the Brentford game to dissect that one. And, um, well, let's see how that one goes. But for now, let's just leave with that stat and say best of luck to everyone. And uh, we'll see you in a week's time. See ya. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 